today's scripture that I'm starting with has um, has one of the the most often misused little lines in it that you've almost ever heard. And so when we get there, that's the controversy about this is how we make sure that we we read the scripture for the way that it meant to do it. And the first thing that I want to tell you is this is one of my little rules that I was given in seminary about exegesis. Exegesis is a fancy Greek word that means that we read out of the Bible instead of eisegesis where we believe something and then we go find it in the Bible and go, look how it agrees with us. That's eisegesis. Exegesis is we look at the Bible and go, oh, I'm doing this and it says that. I probably ought to change. Um, But the first rule of exegesis that, that I remember the most clearly is the Bible can't or shouldn't be made to say something now that it couldn't have meant then. In other words, if Jesus said, go down this way and turn right, we don't later then say, well, what he really meant was turn left. We don't do that. We, we listen to what he says. Now, often he doesn't give us street instructions, so that, that application won't apply here. But let me read the scripture, and then we'll go on and talk about it. So this is from Matthew five twenty-seven to verse 11 is where I'm going. As Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. And he said, why do you eat and drink with such scum? That's a, a new translation that, that actually uh, f- feels the weight of, of how we're used to hearing that. Why does he eat with sinners? Right? Scum. People will be looked down on. Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call those not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. One day, some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? Jesus responded, Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Notice Jesus doesn't say, we're not going to do any fasting today. He just said, this is not that time. He wasn't talking about not fasting. Then Jesus gave them this illustration. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment, for then the new garment would be ruined, and the new patch wouldn't even match the old garment. And here's the famous misused one. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. The new wine must be stored in new wineskins, but no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old wine is just fine, they say. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, 
His disciples broke off heads of grain and rubbed off the husks in their hands and ate the grain. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? And Jesus replied, Haven't you read in the scriptures that David did what David did when he and his companions were hungry? They went into the house of God and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only priests can eat. He also gave some to his companions. And Jesus added, The Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. On another Sabbath day, a man with a deformed right hand was in the synagogue while Jesus was teaching. The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees watched Jesus closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. So the man came forward, and then Jesus said to his critics, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day of doing evil? Is this the day to save life or destroy it? That's a tough question. He looked around at them one by one and then said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. And at this, the enemies of Jesus were wild with rage and began to discuss what they were going to do about him. Okay, so the misused text is, the wineskins text. Christians everywhere have been using this text. I'm sure the Wesleyans did it too. I, I just know lots of them have used this text. Look, our new wine needs to be in new wineskins. We can't do anything with the old ways. We have to just completely get rid of all the old ways and just do it the new way because that would burst your the old ways and then make it unusable. So denominationalism has used that to say our way's the best and your ways isn't aren't any good. And uh, the problem with that is, is that Jesus wasn't talking about doing things a newfangled way. He was actually calling them back to God's way and saying, you keep adding things to the wineskin. You keep putting new stuff in the old wineskins and they burst. He's calling them back. He's calling them back. And I, I want to say it this way. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, nothing good can come out of the Catholic Church? Have you ever heard that said? I have. If nothing good can come out of the Catholic Church, then guess what? You can't go to any of the Protestant churches either because that's where we came from. I'm not saying that the Catholics have the source of all those things or or that the Protestants have all the source of all those things. All of them, I think there's some Catholic uh, priests that do a really good job with certain aspects of faith. At the time of the Protestant Reformation, though, that sort of thing was not their focus. Their focus was how do we make money by this religion thing. And see, I don't think the Catholic Church is there now, so I don't want you to hear me criticizing just the Catholic Church. Just remember that Christian images and the way that Christians think doesn't preclude somebody else from being right and following Christ as well. So here it is, Jesus calling them back to the old ways and to a better understanding of the Sabbath. And just in case you think this is a new thing, this is a 
from Jeremiah 6. Go and stand at the crossroads and look around and ask for directions to the old road, the tried and true road, and then take it. Discover the route for your souls. But they said, nothing doing. We aren't going that way. I even provided a watchman for them to warn them to set off the alarm. But the people said, it's a false alarm. It doesn't concern us. I didn't come to save the the healthy. I came to save the sick. Everybody that thinks they're healthy doesn't look for a savior. If you think you're healthy, you're not looking for a cure, are you? But if you know you need help, what are you doing? How many of you love to live? (laughs) I see some hands over here. How many of you like breathing air today? Okay, if you were having trouble breathing air, would you find and would you give up before you had a medicine to help you do that? Jesus said, I didn't come to save those that thought they were healthy. I came to save those that knew they needed a savior. The problem is, is that it doesn't really matter what's going on in our lives and in our traditions of our church, we continually add things. And so the Pharisees had added a bunch of rules around what they could do on the Sabbath, not understanding that the Sabbath was a day instituted when they came out of Egypt where what was the number one thought of Egypt, of the Egyptian slavery of the Jews was, you're only as good as how many bricks you can make. Your total value is what you do. And so God said, no, you're going to do some work, but you're going to take a day and recognize that who you are is not what you produce. You are not a machine made for making bricks or doing accounting or doing whatever. You're my child. And while you may make bricks, your value is based out of that. It wasn't based out of how well you keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath was there to help you recognize how important you were to God, that he would take care of you, and that he called you child, and that you were to rest and and refill and reload with that thought. But that's a special thing in that society, you know, that Egypt said, no, man, you're about how many bricks you make. Now, Egypt isn't always about that now, but some of us have met people in this world that are entirely about how many bricks they make, haven't we? And they just work and they work and they work and they forget that God calls them and loves them and made them. Now, the Pharisees had added all these rules. And I, and I want you to sit there and recognize that the Pharisees are everybody's favorite punching bag in the New Testament era right? Because they're the ones that had all the traditions that said, this is the way we do that. Before you get very comfortable, I need to tell you that we set up traditions to do the same things. I'm going to say this this way, okay? You, You love the organ. The organ is a fabulous instrument. I like it because it can lead us in praise. I like the guitar. I like the drums. I like all these things because they can lead us in praise. But right now, we're in the fourth music war of the American church because of our traditions. The first one was when the organ came in to the church. 
And everybody said, that's the tool of the devil. Okay. It's, it's kind of back down to this question. Is it, the, is it the musical instrument or the heart that runs it or plays it or learns it? Is it the guitar is evil? Is it the tool of wickedness? Or is it that the heart that wields it and worships God can lead us to worship God that way? We don't need the separate, separate rules of this one, not that one. What we need is our hearts to be free and open to the old ways of God. But we choose to judge and say, no, this is the better way, and unless you do it my way, you're not right. Have you ever met anybody that did that? Have you ever met me doing that? I've met me doing that. Some of you might say, I've met me doing that too, right? That you just set up a rule. That's the problem with being a human is we think we're in charge of everything, and so we set up all these little traditions. I know I'm driving Marjane nuts in the office just testing things. And I'm not saying I'm not a little rebellious, but I test just about any, everything, don't I, Marjane? I'm not testing it to get rid of it. I'm testing it to see whether or not it's doing what it was supposed to do, which is leading us into a deeper relationship with Christ. Now, if it is not doing that, the question isn't how fast can we get rid of it. The question is, should it be doing that? And if we can strengthen it, should we strengthen that? And if it's not doing that and it can't be strengthened, then how fast can we get rid of it? Because our traditions are about this choice between judging and loving, judging and loving. It's almost impossible to be loving while you're judging somebody. Have you noticed that? Well, they just don't do that right. And suddenly you're grumbling under your breath. But God has given us the old ways because none of us predate his gift of life. We can't think of our ways as the old ways. His is the old way. His is the way of love and care. Now, I've, I know that some of you have seen that Old Testament stuff, and it, and it seems like that it's written from this human perspective where God is saying, oh, you just can't do this. But I want you to recognize that it is written from a human perspective that it is recognizing that God often kneels into our horrible, icky, terrible, destructive situations said, Let's not do that anymore. Now, you've heard me say that in the past. I want to give you an example of this, okay? This is the big one, okay? Mount Moriah. Abraham is supposed to go and sacrifice his son. Have you heard this from me before? Everybody in Palestine at that time is sacrificing their kids, It's how you prove your devotion to to your God. I don't actually believe that God ever intended to do anything other than to supply an alternate sacrifice. And it literally took when he says, no, over there in the thicket is a goat. Don't kill your son. It took literally 800 years for the Israelites to practice child sacrifice again. 800 years. And you say, again? Yes, again. 
They got married into some groups of some families with some different religions. And you know how that works, don't you? If you marry somebody with a different religion, then pretty soon you start to understand it and they hold it and and you hold it and you love them. And so you kind of follow some of those things and it kind of comes in. Well, that's what happened. So when you read Chronicles, uh, First and Second Chronicles, and it says, this king did evil in the sight of the Lord and, he, and worse than any of the others, and he caused his children to pass through the fire. That's an idiom for child sacrifice. You didn't know that. But God kneeled into Abraham's life in a world where everybody was practicing something and said, stop, please. And from our standpoint, the only way for him to say that is, go and sacrifice your kid, and I'm going to interrupt it in the background. In the same way that the Ten Commandments, thank you, Bev, for bringing that up today. That was not in my plan to talk about this, but this is good. Did you know that the first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, that there's a way to read this. Calvin is the, is the writer that, that popularized this synecdoche. That if you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, you won't have to worry about keeping the Sabbath holy. You'll just do it. You won't have to worry about taking his name in vain. You won't do it because you, he's your Lord and God and you love him. You won't have to... Think about killing your neighbors and taking things from them and lying about them because the Lord your God will rule in your heart and the desire and the need to do those things, to be in charge of all those aspects of your life will go away and you'll trust the Lord your God. He's calling us back to the old ways. No matter what our traditions are, no matter what it is, I don't want you to, I don't want you to hear that I'm judging the organ today. Okay? I'm not. I know churches that have battles over whether there's pews or chairs, what kind of clothing we wear, what kind of way we do communion, what, 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 what. Just pick away. There's somebody fighting over it. And while they're fighting, they're judging the other way as unacceptable and not loving each other. Now, I also don't want you to hear me say that I'm saying... I don't want you to hear me say this, that we just accept all behaviors. Just come on in and just, we just love you. We just love you. Just come on in. That's not what I'm saying because we've not been called to live that way either. We've been called because we were broken and we recognized we had a need for a Savior and that God had a better way for us and he calls us to change our lives, to become the fellowship of the mended, if you will, We've been healed and mended. But he also calls us to be a city on a hill. And as we do that and we see that, what that really means is that we're visible to the world as a different way to live. And they go, ooh, I want some of that. How do I get me some of that? That life looks better than the one I've got. But as we bicker and fight over these little things, we essentially sew new fabric into an old garment or pour new wine into old wineskins, and we burst it, and our witness is destroyed. Any doubts about that? 
How many of you have seen churches and denominations just fight amongst each other? And what does that do to the world? When, when people see that in the church, what do they see? Well, I don't want any part of that. You know, right? New wine, old wineskins, burst wineskins. No blessing. No wine, right? Because you don't have anything to hold it anymore because you burst it. Your witness has been destroyed. Jesus literally says in John 19, they'll know your mind by the way you love each other. I know, I know we've added our little, our little traditions and we've added the things that I think are really important or you think are, or you've added or it doesn't matter who added it. Pretty soon we're bickering over it and we're not loving. He's calling us back to the old ways of loving, not judging. The old ways, the tried and true ways. Jesus is saying, don't go doing that your own way. Your own way isn't that great. You recognize that when you made me Lord and Savior, that you needed a different way. Go ahead and accept that new way. He didn't however, call you to say, well, I accepted a new way and you're doing it the wrong way. You need to, you're a sinner. See, that wasn't part of the call. The call was to go live a new life and be a magnet to somebody else that's coming. Do you know what I mean by magnet? When, when somebody sees somebody that knows the Lord and loves the Lord and they go, oh, I want some of that, What they do is they come up next to that person and say, how do you live your life? And they start talking about that. And the person says, well, you know, I just love me some Jesus and it changed my life and and everything. But as you witness and you see that life, this is what happened to me. When I saw somebody whose life was different and I started to want some of that, I got to know them and their life became trustworthy to me and I began to trust them. I didn't know anything about this Jesus cat at that spot. But at some point along the line, I began to lend some of the trust that I had had for their trustworthy life. I'd seen them as trustworthy, and I started to lend some of that trust to Jesus until he could prove it. And he did. That's the witness of the church in the world. As we prove ourselves trustworthy, people will come to trust us and then begin to lend that trust to God and then God will earn that trust and then become Lord of their life and they join us. Now, what that doesn't say is we don't go, well, we didn't really want them, so they have to go join somewhere else. That's a country club where the, where the members of the country club join on who gets to, they vote on who gets to join, right? But the church doesn't do that. The church says, I love me some Jesus. You love you some Jesus. Come on in. This is our choice. This is our controversy, if if you will, that we continually keep sort of adding in new things and say, well, this is the way, this would be better. But, But what we learn is that the old way is God's way. That we, that we submit ourselves to that love and care, and then we become loving and caring. He's given us hearts for loving. Ezekiel 36, 26, I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. 
it's the old way. Jeremiah, I quoted the Jeremiah verse because to the scribes, that's 400 years ago. And even Jeremiah was going, no, no, no. Go stand at the roads and, and just start asking for the right way. The way you're choosing is not right. Let me read that, uh, the last verse here about this again, and then I'll close. And so Jesus said, as he had the man come forward, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or destroy it? Is this a day to judge people or to love them? Is judgment the direct uh, um, opposite of love? No, it's not. But it's just really hard to love somebody while you're judging them. Go ahead and try it. And go to the old way, the loving way. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for our, our ability to be changed, to be mended, to, to move and to know you. I ask that you would continually move in our lives, that you would touch our lives, that you would, as you've mended me, make that mending available to somebody else, and, but, but don't stop mending me. Lord, I, I still am a person in need of a Savior, and so are those who are here. We still need you, Lord, and so we ask you for that help. In your precious name, amen.